One reviewer calls it crazy good fun. Another says it's ingenious mystery. We're talking about the latest novel by Philip Shirley called The Graceland Conspiracy. It's a story that could easily feed into conspiracy theories that the king really isn't dead at all. Philip, thanks for being here. It's, oh, man, I love the book. Thank you, Marshall. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, it's good. Well, number one, I've been a fan of you for a long time. Godwin, the great work that you do there. Thank you. Okay, what, what point did you say, you know what, I love the advertising business, I love marketing, but you know what, I want to become a writer. Well, I started writing in high school and, and through college and published mostly poetry. Really? At that time, uh, published a couple of books uh, right after college. Uh, but once I went into commercial writing on the public relations side and later yeah. marketing and advertising, um, I moved away from the creative writing side yeah. and about 15, 18 years ago, I realized I missed it. Yeah. Started back writing, initially wrote, uh, decided to switch over to fiction, mm -hmm. wrote short stories, published a few of them, uh, submitted a, uh, a number of them together as a book, and yeah. it came in second place uh, in a contest and ended up being published. And that sort of restarted me uh, writing creatively. So really been serious about it for about the last 15 years. and. Uh, can't write a whole lot when you're working 60 hours a week in advertising. You don't yeah. feel like writing creatively. But I did manage to write a book every two or three years over yeah. the last decade. Would you just like get up early in the morning and sit and drink coffee and look out at the, the sun coming up and write? Literally, yeah. literally <laughs> that. Uh, my, at the times when I was writing heavily, uh, my, my goal was to get up at 6, be sitting at the computer by 6.15, uh, right until about 7.30. So I get yeah. about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, uh, and then get dressed and go to work. You said you wrote poetry, and that was in high school? Uh, really started in college. Okay. So, and um, where'd you go to school? Uh, well, a couple of places. I actually started in a community college, mm -hmm. in, uh, and I'll mention this because sure. it was in Monroeville at the time. It was called Patrick So the literary, yeah, literary capital of it's Alabama. It's the literary capital of Alabama, yeah. and I lived there a couple of years in high school and went one year to a community college. It's now called Coastal Alabama, mm -hmm. but um, uh, wrote during that period um, mostly poetry or what we would call um, hard sayings. Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask. I didn't know if this was an effort because I used to draw napkins to try to pick up girls. So I figured poetry probably would have been a better route. <laughs> poetry was probably a good route if you couldn't play the guitar. Yeah, because so. I definitely couldn't do that. <laughs> Don't do cartoons. Girls do not like caricatures drawn of them. That's a bad thing. So what did you what'd you major in? I mean, did you do writing in college? I, I did write in college, yeah. and I worked on the um, literary magazine yeah. at the University of Alabama. Okay. Um, uh, called Black Warrior Review, mm -hmm. and I was one of the poetry editors there, uh, and I was writing poetry at the time and, and get, getting a few things published in literary yeah. magazines primarily. You know, people don't understand, you know, when you write ad <coughs> copy and so forth, it's got to be very tight, very concise and everything else, but that probably helped you as a writer because reading your prose, it's, it's very disciplined, reading how you write. Yeah, you I, I think the creative writing actually helped my commercial writing. Yeah. Um, uh, understanding the power of one word, understanding, you know, if you're writing poetry, you have 20 lines, yeah. uh, f you know, four or five words a, uh, on a line, you better get it right. And so that translated well into telling commercial stories, 
concisely translates well into being able to tell a product story in you know 26 seconds in a TV spot. Yeah, that's what makes that's why Twitter was so easy for people like you and people like me. I was cartoon captions. Oh, that's no different right. than Twitter. You you could well, 140 characters. If I'm right. doing that long, I'm in trouble. Right. So, right. I was just thinking about your career. You were telling me a little bit before we came on the air that you almost ended up into the shoe business. I did, and and a lot of my family was in the shoe business. I started out that way. Um, uh, 1975, I opened yeah. um, shoe stores inside Woolco stores in Texas. I uh, thought that was my career. Um, my father was killed in an accident. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into that. But yeah. anyway, I came yeah. home to take care of my mother. Uh, she said, you don't need to be here. Go back to school. I went back to graduate school, uh, studied American studies, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I had a very broad background, 20th century American culture. Wow. Uh, yeah. was my specialty, and so a lot of my writing has focused uh, on using that uh, knowledge and background. But just little bits and pieces of what we're talking about after <clears throat> reading the book, I see little bits and pieces of your life in this book. Like, for instance, you mentioned Texas. Um, one of the pivotal scenes to begin with starts in a, in a pool hall. I have a feeling you might have visited one of those. And uh, yes, those those cities in there are places I have visited and yeah. lived in a couple of them. Uh, and yes, I did spend time in pool halls. And yes, I did gamble a little bit uh, right did, out of college. But did you win? That's all that matters. I, I wasn't so good at pool, but I will tell you in Birmingham, mm -hmm. uh, I was better at darts. And, really? and so uh, I did better in the dart leagues than the than the pool for money. Did you have to negotiate like like mm -hmm. Matthew, of course Matt is the is the main character. Did you have to negotiate to get your winnings like he did? Um, I don't know that we want to go down that path. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a I didn't have a bar fight like okay. Matt did. I have seen a couple oh, yes. uh, of scuffles here and there. Uh, none as, as ferocious as that one of well, course. The good news I think the statute <laughs> of limitations has passed. So I think you're gonna be okay. I don't think anybody's gonna come bursting uh, through the door on that. Good. Let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the book. Um, <clears throat> Number one, I, Greg, I remember the first time I was introduced to Greg Isles, it was Spandau Phoenix. I was out in right. San Diego, I was working for a syndicate, our book reviewer came and said, you've got to read this guy's book. This is before he, Mississippi was even on my radar. And I read it, and the thing I loved about it was that it turned history on its ear. You know, you, right. what you thought about history, it turned out, mm -hmm. well, ma well, maybe that's not right. And that's, and I, obviously we don't want to blow too many of the spoilers on there, so I'll let you go into how far you want to go into this. But it's obviously called the Graceland Conspiracy. So Elvis does play, make a play in this book. Where did you come up with that? He, he's in the background, of yeah, course. he does. Um, Elvis is everywhere. This book uh, started with an idea. I ran across the famous photo of Elvis with Nixon in the White House. Yeah. And then I actually found a, a little book about that whole event. Uh, Elvis uh, was concerned about the drug problem in America. Pe some people will find that ironic, but yes. Elvis never, never considered himself a drug addict. He, he took prescription drugs, um, and, and, the, and he was under the care of a, a doctor. You say what you want to about his drug use, but he never considered himself a drug user. Yeah. Uh, and he was concerned about that issue. He wrote the president, went to the White House. They humored him. They had a visit. He had a lot of photos made. Um, and th this was, you know, Halderman and, and that mm -hmm. bunch that we all know their names. Right. John Dean, all of those guys were involved in that visit. Um, and so there were a lot of very famous photos. That, that One of those photos is the most recommended or most requested photo out of the National Archives. So I ran across that photo at about the same time I read a book called Is Elvis Alive? Um, 
uh, Gail Brewer, Giorgio, mm -hmm. has written a series of these conspiracy books, and I read one of them for fun, and I started thinking, hmm, I w what if Elvis really was made um, a U.S. Marshal at large, as he requested <laughs> from Nick? What if he really was? And what if perhaps that somehow or other led to uh, the, the, the last seven years of his life? He yeah. died about seven years after that uh, photo. Um, and I sat down uh, in really in 2003, it was a long time ago, and wrote the concept. Just I wrote about 9,500 words furiously, mm -hmm. a lot of words over yeah. a weekend, and I put that aside for years. Really? And I would come back to it once in a while and explore the idea, write a little bit on it, put it aside. Uh, and so really I've spent about 15 years writing the book, but I didn't write for 15 years. I wrote the equivalent of maybe one year but at different periods, mm -hmm. and uh, after my last novel, The White Lie, came out in 2014, I believe, I picked it up and said, I'm going to finish this. So I spent about a year finishing the book based on that early concept from mm -hmm. 10 years earlier. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> we'll just go ahead and start with the premise. Like, so, so Matt is the main character. Yes. He, um, his dad was a federal agent. Um, you, he was an alcoholic. Matt was in class and one day and just decided, no, nah, I've had enough of this, and he ran away. And he ran away from his life until his life found him back again. Right. Yeah. Matt is um, uh, based on something that uh, many of us have seen in life. Someone gets to a certain point. Uh, they're old enough they can leave. They're not really running away technically. They're yeah. adults. He was an adult right. around 20. Um, but just got fed up with his father's alcoholism. Yeah. He felt like his mother didn't push back enough, and just one day he just couldn't take it. He left, not really intending. He didn't have a plan. He didn't intend to be gone, uh, but one thing led to another, and all of a sudden he's gone for years, yeah. and he, he can't find his way home. He doesn't know how to get back until this event happens with his father, and, and he's forced to come home and, and deal with the situation. Which, by the way, thank you for killing a guy named Marshall. That made it a very uncomfortable <laughs> read for me. That was his dad's name was Marshall. Uh, but he was a, a, what the the agency was not an actual agency, but it was based on a, a could be a, based on agents. It's so. based on a small agency inside the Department of Justice. Right. You just didn't want to get a knock on the middle of the night. I did not. Yeah. Although I may, you know, I've been inside the. Uh, uh, the FBI website hundreds of times yeah. trying to understand how government agencies relate to each other and their mission. And so I've been on their website a lot. They probably are watching me today. <laughs> they, so. they're, right, they're probably watching the show right now. <laughs> oh, there he goes again. But, you know, Matt left. Of course, he left the love of his life, which he didn't realize was the love of his life, I think, at the time. I mean, he left all kinds of damage in his wake. And then so he's in a bar a pool hall. He gets into the fight that we were talking about, trying to get his money, and suddenly this mysterious stranger comes out of nowhere and basically saves his tail end. Right. So, and then he comes to find out is he needs to get home immediately. Yeah. What I wanted to do was, I wanted to tell this story about, that loosely has Elvis in the background, but it's yeah. really a coming of age story yeah. about this young man. He's having to face, he comes of age late. I mean, he's 27, at, right. but he, he's facing things that most people would have to face at 18, 19, yeah. 20 in terms of coming of age. He put it off by leaving home <laughs> right. and wandering around the, uh, the West Coast. But I wanted to tell the story that, that has uh, Elvis and the 70s in the background, but mm -hmm. I wanted to put some perspective on it, so I put it 20 years later. Right. Um, and at, at a very interesting time in uh, culturally for America, uh, you know, the internet was just becoming understood. Google was a brand new thing. 
Um, it wasn't the most powerful uh, entity on earth in 1999. <laughs> yeah. People were just learning about it. So I thought that was an interesting time to set the book, give us 20 years perspective after the death of Elvis, um, but things happening culturally. And it was a good time to tell the sort of coming of age story, but wrapped around that is this, what I really like to write is, you know, suspense, thrillers, mystery. Right. Uh, and so it, it's set in a mystery, but it's really kind of a coming of age story. It really is, and the pacing on it is so incredibly good. It just gets faster and faster and faster as it goes along because obviously, and not to spoil too much, but he finds out that, well, his mom and dad were murdered. And so he goes trying to figure out what's going on, and he's up against this agency who has every asset in the mm -hmm. world to track him. But the thing I loved about it was it was 1999. I was trying to think of today, if, if they tried to track you, he would have been caught on page 34. Oh, yeah, five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would have been a very thin book. But that was kind of fun, mm -hmm. though. I mean, hearing about DVDs, oh, this is the latest thing, a DVD. And I just got right. the biggest smile on that. Yeah, and it was fun going back and trying to make sure that I placed uh, all of the evolution of technology in the right order. And I, I, I wrote it initially based on my own memory, and then I had to do a lot of research to make sure, did that really happen by then? How big was Google? At what point did Google become... Um, right, a verb, yeah, um, and and so I had to do a little research to make sure I had my my sequences correct, and that and that was fun to yeah, to you, relearn that. You had a line in there is like, yeah, it's Google, it's replacing Yahoo, <laughs> you know, and I thought right. that was great. But you were talking about the coming age thing. You bring up John Ruskin, which um, we'll talk about Ruskin in just a half second. But there was a quote in there that Matt said, and I think this really summed up his character growth throughout the whole book. It is advisable that a person know at least three things where they where they are and where they are going and what is the best to do under the circumstances. And that pretty much was his mm -hmm. narrative throughout the whole right. book. Right, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and Ruskin's a very interesting guy. Um, admittedly, a tough read, uh, this very romantic style, voluminous writing. Uh, I don't know how he wrote that many words with a, uh, you know, with a feather quill or whatever yeah. he would have written with in, in uh, his time period. Um, and I ran across him really doing the research in Venice. Yeah. Um, it, it was a happy coincidence. I did, in fact, get to stay in the room uh, where he stayed, although my guess is the front desk at the hotel tells everyone that. Like but, George uh, Washington slept right, next door? Right. Yeah. So maybe he slept in all the rooms. But, uh, um, but that part of the research was fun and bringing Ruskin in and trying to understand a bit of uh, Italian culture uh, was kind of fun. The translations were not fun. Yeah, oh, uh, I because imagine. I don't speak Italian, but I tried to learn some of it enough to get the translations right, but um, ended up having to make a friend in Italy to get them right. Was he a professor? Uh, well, you, it's a she, Matt, and she's, yeah, okay. she's in the, I, I, I met her through the advertising community. Oh, oh cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Matt meets a professor that kind of helps him out along right. the way, too. So right. I didn't know if maybe that was based on that. But I like, too, that you brought in World War II and, and the resistance. The Italian, there, there's a lot of nice little historical bits and pieces in it. Yeah, and that, and that was fun discovery for me to go back and, and try to remember that history and get it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's nice, too, because you're going from Alabama and you end up in Italy. So it's really a right. fun trip. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the, the fun of, of following a character around that you create is you get to see how they react to things uh, and try to, you know, you put them in a situation and then you try to stand back and go, how would this character, this person I've yeah. created, how would they react in this situation? And I get to be a bit of an observer. Yeah. I, don't, I don't direct their actions as much as I try to understand their actions and observe their actions. And uh, some people laugh when I say that. It's like, no, you... You create everything they do, but it's not, not really. You create characteristics for this mm -hmm. this figure in your book, 
and then you try to anticipate what are they going to do in this situation and right. tell their story. That's what, I mean, I enjoyed watching like Matt <laughs> when he got put under pressure to see how he acted and, and how he reacted. And early on, he was making some tactical mistakes and everything else. But you saw from the early on in the bar fight and everything that he had a pretty good head on his shoulders and could do that. Yeah, he has skills. He has skills. He, he has skills, but... Uh, but I wanted him to be human, and so he makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And he says the wrong thing, and he does the wrong thing, and he makes his girlfriend mad, and he, you know, just like real people, yeah. uh, he makes a lot of mistakes, and he interprets the facts wrong. Right. Um, and, and that's part of the fun of, of a novel, I guess, is you get to look over their shoulder and realize, oh, no, you're, you're wrong. That's not what happened, Matt. Uh, but we get to watch him make those mistakes and enjoy uh, knowing that, oh, I've done the same thing. Well, a lot of people watching right now, if they've ever lost their parents, they might actually have a different perspective of their parents once they're gone because they might find out details about them and everything else. And not to give away too much, but Matt really did kind of get a paradigm shift on, right. on who his, his parents were. I think that's uh, a, a natural phenomenon that many of us have. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've probably said, or most people have at some point in their life said, the older I get, the smarter my parents are. Right. And, and Matt goes through that exact same thing. As he gets older and realizes who they were, he realizes there was a lot more going on. Maybe they were smarter. Maybe I was the one who didn't understand. Oh, I don't know about you, but I mean, I was brilliant when I was in college. <laughs> yes, we're all brilliant at, uh, from about age 14 to 20. Yeah. And then we realize we maybe weren't so brilliant. Right, right. yeah, <laughs> and the older I get, the less brilliant I seem to be getting. Let me ask you on, on, the, on the outline, because you said you wrote that 9,500 words just like that. When you write a story, though, do you, sit, do, you do the J.K. Rowling, oh, I'm going to write out every detail, outline, this is where it's going, this is the direction, or do you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to strap mm -hmm. myself in and I'm going to go for a ride with this character and see where it goes? I, more of the latter. I really? really don't know the ending until I get there. I've, I've, this book had a different ending. Really? Um, I really try to understand... Um, there's usually what triggers me writing a story is there's one interest one thing that I'm interested in and then something happens that triggers that I begin a story yeah. and it usually starts with a situation and a character yeah and no outcome um, the previous novel be a good example that I will use for 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 your uh, viewers here um, the white lie my previous yeah. novel mm -hmm. started next to the old location of the bus station you know you leave downtown Jackson mm -hmm. you go through the little tunnel and and you're inevitably caught by the traffic light and to your left is the bus station and there used to be a lot of drug busts there and they yeah. were reported in the newspaper uh, and I every day at that traffic light I would look over there and imagine is I wonder if that bus has drugs on it well what if there was a drug bust while I'm sitting here well what if <laughs> one of them ran over here and jumped in my car what would I do and I thought about that over and over and over for months, maybe years. And then one day I just sat down and I wrote that scene. There's a drug bust, a guy jumps in the car, and we take off. That's all I knew about the story was there's an executive who works in downtown Jackson, and there's a bad guy in the back seat with a gun and a duffel bag full of drugs and money. And he says, drive. And there we started. And mm -hmm. that's all I had for the story, and it became a novel of how this person dealt with that situation. So, it, and just like the current book, Again, I mentioned yeah. there was a photo, and I imagined, well, what if Elvis really was a U.S. Marshal? What would that look like? Yeah, I mean, and not only that, I mean, he took the whole <clears throat> I've got my badge thing a little too seriously thing. Too. Right. Yeah, so that really <laughs> made, made it a lot. I can only picture what that would be like. Oh, by the way, on the, you're talking about the bus station down there, the Bacon Brothers. 
Kevin Bacon and his brother, you know, they had a band. They wrote a song mm-hmm. about that, which I was like, okay. Really? I yeah, didn't know it's that. on their new album. I was sitting there interviewing them. It's like, oh, yeah, we were staying in the hotel, and we walked out, and there was the bus station. And we thought, what if? So it's almost the same type scenario. Right, so right. I need to go sit down there. Maybe I can come up with some good cartoons about <laughs> it a little bit. You, I tell you, um, just looking re- real quick, you, you talk about little bits and pieces of who you are throughout the book. There's a lot of Alabama in there. So obviously you knew... I mean, that was kind of your old stomping grounds. So is that how you decided mm-hmm. where you were going to set everything? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with this. This is a good place to start. Yes, I I have a sort of, a, I would call cinematic style. Yeah. I'm sort of looking through a camera lens at the scene. Um, and so I, I try to closely observe what's in it. I noticed the guy over here in the corner has a dress suit on and no socks. Yeah. Or the color of the sign or... Uh, the style of the chair. That's all interesting to me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, uh, in, in writer's workshops, they would say, take the reader into the room. I yeah. really like to do that, and that's a part of it, and I may do too much of it. Who knows? No, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was but good. But I, I yeah. like the little details. I, I want to be able to visualize it. Um, and so there, there are three components to my book. There's the, there's who is the character and what it, what is, can you look into their heart? I like to have, a plot-driven story. Yeah. I like there to be action, good guys, bad guys, conflict. Somehow or other, it gets resolved. Um, and then I like to see the details of the place. Yeah. And so, uh, to your original point, yes, I, I usually set stories in places that I know or mm-hmm. that I want to go to. Right. So, Venice, Venice in there. Yeah. Then I get to go to Venice, right? And write it uh, off. <laughs> and, and it is a tax deduction. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I've set stories in mostly in Alabama and Mississippi because. Uh, I can envision the street or yeah. the building or the signage on the side of the road, and it helps me to be in that moment. A great and, example, and so, I think, of that would be the Holiday Inn at Lake Gunnerville. Right. Real yeah. place. Yeah, real place. It's a real place. Yeah. And I could envision things happening in that scene because I had been there. I had stayed in that hotel. I'd been in the water. Yeah. I'd driven across the dam. I, I had been to the gas station across the street. And so it, it helps me to more quickly make that scene real. You, you talk about a cinematic <clears throat> version of it. You said there is a there is a screenplay of this now. Well, there is a... Um, You're pitching it. There, there is a concept for a, con- a screenplay. Okay. Uh, John Aaron's a screenwriter yeah. out of Chicago, um, uh, is uh, getting fairly well known in Hollywood, and he's my partner on this, and he represents this officially yeah. uh, to see if there's a movie opportunity for it. That's I, a long shot. It's a long know, shot. I'm not counting you, on that. You said there's like ten thousand scripts floating around <clears throat> there, every year. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a tough business. Yeah, uh, it's very expensive to make a movie. They try not to make a mistake. I, I um, you know, I guess. As a book reviewer, take me for a grain of salt, but I really love the book, and I really, really do think that it would make a great movie because I think your pacing on it, you know, it just gets faster and faster and faster, and I think about an hour and a half through it, it would just, the ending would pop. You said you had a different ending, and obviously I don't want to spoil anything. Was it like Elvis getting off of a UFO or anything? Because that would be really Not a cool ending. Not quite that interesting, okay. no, but okay. uh, different people live or, or die in, in the other oh, okay. version, um, but that got rewritten a couple of times, and... Uh, I like the present version best. You like your editor? You, you like I have a great editor. Yeah. Uh, Anita Miller Garner is her name. She's a, was a professor at the University of North Alabama for years. Is a writer herself. Fantastic editor. Keeps me honest. Uh, beats me over the head if yeah. I make my women look weak. Yeah. Uh, and tells me that's not real. Uh, she's. I, I really. Um, 
I don't think I would be the writer I am today without her uh, making me face up to uh, a lot of the mistakes that I make about characters and mm -hmm. how they react. And uh, a good editor is everything to a writer. But you do have strong female characters in the book, and that definitely, and, and, and it helps too, because it helps Matt grow. I mean, <clears throat> it does, and it's more yeah. realistic. Yeah, than, exactly. You know, uh, hey, we're married. We know how yeah, that rolls. Yeah. So that works out great. What you working on next? Uh, a couple of things. I'm working on a short story right now that's a little lighter. Um, haven't written short fiction in a long time, yeah. and I felt like I needed to go back and try that. So I'm working on a story. I don't know if I'll finish it, but I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, and I have begun trying to uh, concept and outline a little bit a sequel to the earlier, to the last novel, to okay. The White Lie. Yeah. Uh, it's called, the working title, The Black Truth. But there was there was a character in there who was, uh, uh, that I really liked. He was the secondary character. Um, not the not the two main characters and not the main bad guy. He was the policeman in there, who's now no longer a policeman in this version. Okay. And it's five years later. And I, I really liked this character, and so I'm I'm trying to maybe bring him back. I I've written some sequels <laughs> to stories before, and it's like you have to go back and read the original one just to make right. sure you're like, okay, where could they be a few years later? On right. That? It's on that. So you're making the transition now. You're making it from the Godwin Group. Of course, you stepped down as CEO earlier this year, and you've, you're kind of transitioning into full-time writing. That's got to be yeah. exciting. It is. I, I'm uh, you know writing has always been my main skill, whether it was public yeah. relations, advertising, marketing poetry, fiction, or whatever, it's been the main thing I wanted to do, but I'm really more focused on the creative side. Yeah. I still love marketing and advertising, yeah. and I still do some work there almost every day, in fact. But not doing it full-time is now allowing me to think a little bit more about fiction yeah. and where I may want to go with the, with the next book, and that that's fun. I'm yeah. enjoying that. I'm uh, still going to keep my hand in, in the agency side for a few more years. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going away. Uh, but I will be there, you know, less. Right. And, and just quickly as we wrap up, I will say this. A lot of lot of book publishers like the author to sell the books because they want to have an audience and everything. I sure. think you're kind of a natural at that. I think you can probably handle the marketing end of selling well, a book. Well, you know, I, I work with a small regional press. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, part of our deal is... I will I will spend time marketing along yeah. with them. I don't I don't just leave that burden to them. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to come in and talk. I love getting to talk to you. Like I said, I've been a fan for a long time of of your work, and now I'm a huge thank fan you. of your writing. So thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed being here.